So um, had I not gone into ministry, my original plan, well, my original, original plan was to be an oceanographer. Jaws happened, decided that was a terrible way to make a living in the water. Uh, so then it was I was going to be a teacher, and particularly a high school history teacher. That's what I wanted to do. I love history, and I think there's a lot of great things we can learn from history. And I want to share with you a, a, the weirdest, what I think is the weirdest battle in human history. It took place in 525 B.C., which if you, uh, right now you're going, that's a long time ago. That's also when the Jews were under Persian uh, captivity. And so 525 B.C., Cambyses II of Persia was at war with Egypt and used cats to win a battle. So let me explain to you what happened. So in that day, in that time, um, cat worship in Egypt was a really huge thing. Cats were held in high esteem. They were worshipped. They were considered to be gods. To kill a cat was punishable by death. And so Cambyses decided to use this to his benefit. And so on their shields, they painted pictures of cats. And then he rounded up hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of cats. Can you imagine herding cats, by the way? I mean, that's, that's a tough way to make a living. And he herded these cats, and, and they put them in the front line with these soldiers. Now, the way battles worked back in the day... Uh, was archers would fire as the army advanced, and they advanced in straight lines. It's really, it's really weird, but, you know, they lined up, and they marched straight, and the archers would fire, and then the infantry would come in. The Egyptian archers wouldn't fire on the Persians because they were afraid they would hit a cat. And they were afraid if they hit a cat, they would be put to death. So instead of firing their, ar their um, arrows, right, they allowed the Persian army to advance, to which many of archers ended up dead because they didn't fire their arrows. Pharaoh would fall, and it's one of the weirdest battles in human history. It's crazy. It's bold. And I'll bet you that when, they started, when he started to roll his plan out, the only thing that stopped them from going, this is crazy, is if you disagree with him, he's going to put you to death. But it's crazy to do something like that. But what is clear is that Cambyses had a strategy for winning that battle. And what we can learn, and I think we can learn something from him in, every day, in our lives, but especially in the role of the church, and that is simply this. It's, if you're going to accomplish your mission, it's important that you have a strategy. In other words, you need to know how you're going to accomplish the things you're going to accomplish, right? Nothing is by accident, okay? We don't just fall into things. It's kind of like... It's Kind of like this idea that I, my neighbor needs to come to church and I should invite them, but maybe, just maybe, they'll show up beside me anyway. Instead of, maybe I should invite my neighbor to come to church with me. You see, you gotta, if you're going to accomplish something, you have to have a strategy. Got to have a plan. Sports teams win because they have a plan. The Patriot way, which... Anyway, before I say anything I shouldn't say, the Patriot way just seems to work. Cheating works, but anyway. Um, but they have a way of doing things. And they've won six Super Bowls. It works. It, it works. Back in the day when the Dolphins were great, uh, that's a long, long time ago. That was when I was a kid. But they had a plan. They did it the Dolphin way. And they were great. 
Sports teams, dynasties have a way of doing things, and they win, and they're great. And churches should have a way of doing things. And of all the things that we can do and we're going to talk about and things we're trying to do, the most important thing that you can do is pray. It's the most important thing a church can do. The most important strategy that we, we can plan and we can do all kinds of stuff, but without prayer, it doesn't mean anything. And a warrior, as we're talking about in the series, understands that. And a warrior is basically someone who prays as if everything depends on God. And so a warrior prays as if, if, if God's not in this, it's not going to happen. And so as we have plans for the church, and we have plans to move forward, and we have plans for this and that and change and all these things, without prayer, those things don't mean anything. The most important thing that we should do as a church is pray. And so as we're in this series talking about prayer today, we've talked about prayer individually. Uh, today we're going to kind of shift gears and we're going to look at prayer corporately for the church and what we can do. And we're going to go back to another moment in history, in biblical history, and look at an event that has nothing to do with prayer but everything to do with prayer. There are some principles that happen in this event, in this battle, that teach us some great things about prayer. So let me kind of set the stage for you before we start to do this, all right? So the Israelites have left Egypt. They are, they've been gone for less than three months. So it's before Pharaoh says, um, our workforce is gone, we need to go get them back. And it's before... They started moaning and groaning to God about everything. It's before the pillar of fire. It's before the cross in the Red Sea. It's before the Ten Commandments. So they're raw. And the one thing that the Israelites have never done in 450 years is picked up a weapon. Until now. And so they're out and they are, they are traveling they're, and going through the desert. And they come across these people called the Amalekites. Now, if you're thinking right now, I wonder what part of the world they're in now. Let me go ahead and save you the, the trouble. They, they don't exist anymore. God wiped them off the planet. They were heinous and they were evil and he would eventually use um, Saul to do that. Uh, and, but before that, they saw the Israelites, millions of people, two million people coming out and they saw a traveling flea market and they saw a chance to get some stuff. So they're going to take on God's people. God's people have never fought a battle. God's been fighting all their battles. Ten plagues, all this stuff. God's fighting all their battles. And that's all about to change. So in Exodus chapter 17 is where we're going to camp today. Begins in verse 8. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. This is, and maybe it's just the way that I think, this is two of the funniest verses in the Bible I've ever read. Because when you read it face value, this is what you see. Joshua I want you to get some men, risk your life, go fight. I'm going to the top of the hill and I'm going to watch everything. Because I'm the boss and that's what I do. That's what it sounds like. And it reminds me, and I'm about to date myself. Uh, so we're about to find out how old you are. Y'all remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? Who remember, who grew up watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? 
If you have it, you need to YouTube it. It was awesome. And we watched it every night growing up. And Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was about Marlon Perkins. Y'all remember Marlon Perkins? And Marlon Perkins would do this amazing, good meet, you know, go out and, and we'd see all these animals and he would interact with them. But he, Marlon Perkins started getting older. And he couldn't interact with animals the way he used to. So then they hired this guy named Jim Fowler, who's in the picture. And my brother and I used to joke about it to the point that my parents kicked us out of watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom because, you know, Marlon Perkins would be safely like up in a tree and Jim would be risking his life with a tiger, right? And so we started going, while I sit safely in the tree, Jim risks his life to fight with a tiger. If he dies, I'll just hire another one, right? And, but that's kind of the way it was like. Now, he did that because he, got, he was just got older and he just couldn't do the things that he used to do. So they hired a guy who could. That's all there was to it, all right? But it was a really cool show. And when I think of this event in the Bible, I always go back to Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. But that's not the way it happened. That's not what's going on here. You see, what we're about to learn is something really important about prayer. And so I'm going to tell you up front. Joshua was in the trenches, and he was fighting the battle. And that's really important. But the most important thing that took place was happening on top of the hill. And now it sounds kind of weird because he's the one not in the field. But what, what was most important happened on the hill, not in the trenches. So let's look at this. So verse 10. So Joshua did what Moses commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. So they're up safely on the hill, right? Verse 11. Here's the key. As long as Moses held the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. Now, when you read other parts of the Bible, let me explain what's going on. He's holding it up over his head. Okay, that's what's taking place here. Exodus didn't paint the full picture. You have to kind of go and look at some other places. He's holding the staff over his head, right? So as long as he holds it up, Israelites win him. Whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So, Israelites win, Amalekites win him. I know what you're thinking. Just keep your hands up, dude, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. Have you ever tried to hold something above your head for a long time? It's tough after a while. And it's tough for Moses, too, as great as he and awesome as he was. Verse 12, Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. By the way, this battle lasted all day, from sunup to sundown. It's a long day to hold your arms up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. They stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady till sunset. So Moses couldn't hold his arms up anymore. But what was really clear is if his arms came down, they were going to lose. So Moses, um, so Aaron and Hur held his arms up. They supported him. All right? Verse 13. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Verse 14. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down as a scroll, on a scroll as a reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. The Amalekites were evil, evil, heinous people. And I don't have time to go into the things that they did. They were evil people. And this is the first time the, the Israelites encounter them, but it won't be the last. But God doesn't want Joshua to forget what happened that day. And what happened that day was the battle was not won in the trenches, 
the battle was won on top of the hill. And just like we can have a plan, we can have a strategy, we can have a mission, we can have all sorts of stuff and programs, but without prayer, they will fail. The most important thing, the most strategic thing we can do as a church that you can do in your life is to pray. As if everything rides on God. And so we learned some lessons about prayer from this event. This really isn't about prayer, but kind of it is. And so I want to just talk to you about some things. Here's the first thing we're going to talk about. Strategic prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. So let's go back and look at that, and then let's look at our life. So Joshua figured out pretty quick that he wasn't winning the battle. His role was to fight. That was, that was his role. His role was to fight. Moses' role was to hold his hands up. God's role was to honor Moses holding his arms up so he'd win the battle. God did everything because they leaned into God. And so when you pray strategically, with purpose, on purpose, for a reason, for a mission, specifically about something, Man, it forces us to acknowledge that God is the source of everything and that everything fails without him. So is it important to pray? Yes, but sometimes you have to pray very specific, strategic, on-purpose prayers. Sometimes, however, we think prayer fixes everything. So there's two things that are happening here. Moses is on the hill. Joshua's in the trenches. If Moses is on the hill and Joshua's not in the trenches, it's, it's ugly. If Joshua is in the trenches and Moses is not on the hill, it gets ugly. It took both of them together. And so, yes, we should pray as if everything depends on God, but then you need to work as if everything depends on you. Okay? And so that's what happened. Joshua fought as if it all rode on him. Moses realized it all rode on God. Sometimes, sometimes, we substitute prayer. and We go, well, I prayed about it. And then we just sit and wait for God. And while we sit and wait for God, God's waiting for us to do something. Sometimes, people pray about stuff that's really, really important to them, and then they do nothing because they expect God to do everything. And let me just tell you from biblical history what happens then. God waits on us to do our part. It's one of the first things I, I said when I got here 10 months ago. We do our part. God does his part. But God does his part when we do our part. And if we skip our part, God doesn't do his part. Prayer teaches us that it all rides on God. But at the same time, we've got to work. So, it, so someone's got to be in the trenches and someone's got to be on the hillside. It was Oswald Chambers who said this about prayer. It says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. In other words, Chambers says, you know, prayer doesn't prepare us to, to do stuff. Prayer is the most important thing. Prayer teaches us to be dependent on God, to lean into God. And Moses held a stick above his head, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. A really, really important stick. The most productive thing he could do was pray. 
Hold that stick up. The most productive thing Joshua could do was fight. They each did their part. But it was God that won the battle. And that was clear. And so when we pray about things with purpose and on purpose, it teaches us that it all rides on God. But the other thing we learned about strategic prayer from this is they're enhanced with creative ways to focus. Right? Moses could have just gone on top of the hill and held his hands up. But he chose to hold that staff, that stick. That stick is really, really important. So let me kind of take you back through the history of the staff. Moses is in the desert um, with sheep, minding his own business. He's got his staff in his hand because every uh, shepherd did. And he sees on the, on the side of a, of a mountain a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. When he met God on the mountain, he had that stick with him. It was that very stick when God said, throw it down, and he threw it down and became a snake, right? And then God said, pick it up. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm going, that's a snake. But he did. It was that staff, that stick, that Moses took with him to Egypt. It was that staff, that stick, that he held out over the Red Sea and it turned to blood. It was that staff, that stick, that he waved over the land and all the plagues came in. Later, it would be that very same staff that he would stand over the Red Sea. You know, we always have this thing, the movie The Ten Commandments has really messed us up, all right? Because it's really cool, you know, Charlton Heston stands over the water with the staff, and the water goes, wham! Well, that took all night for that to happen. Which means Moses stood all night with his staff over the water. That staff was really, really important to him. That staff reminded him that God had worked in his life. That staff created creative ways for him to stay connected to God. In my office, it's a fishing pole, and I'll bring it out here one of these days. A couple of folks have asked about it. So there's all kinds of stories behind it, but, there, but this fishing pole belonged, was given to me when I was seven years old by my granddaddy. My granddaddy was one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. But I used to hear stories about this really mean, horrible human being who was a mean drunk. And that was him. In fact, it was the year my brother was born in 1965 that he took his last drink and started going to AA. And I grew up, most of my memories were going to Thursday nights at the in Carrollton, taking, we'd go pick him up in Temple, drive back to Carrollton, take him to A, and then we'd go home, go back, pick him up, and take him back. My granddaddy changed his life. He changed the course of his life. And that fishing pole reminds me that prayer works. Because a lot of people prayed for my granddaddy. Not just my mom and her sisters, not just my grandmother. A lot of people the stories about the prayer for my granddaddy are, are legendary in our family. Church gathered to pray for him. That fishing pole has a lot of meaning to me, but one of the things it reminds me of is that prayer works. When you pray specifically for something, God honors that. And, and, and he did. Hezekiah was being threatened. Um, the, the, his enemies were coming in. Israel had fallen 
They basically, and, the, and they sent this letter to Hezekiah, to king of Judah, basically saying, God's abandoned you. Look what happened in Israel. Here we come. We're about to roll over you like locusts. And Hezekiah was scared to death. And he didn't know what to do. So he took that letter and he went to the temple and he laid on the floor and he laid that letter out. And he laid on that letter and he prayed to God. And God delivered him. When, we, uh, when I pray about our future, when I, when I pray about where we're going to be, when I pray about our new building, I don't do it here. I drive out to 301, and I do it there. Because that's where we're going to be. Sometimes I park, and some of you have seen me park. In fact, so I've, some of you have been kind enough to ask, everything, stop, everything okay? Some of you apparently don't care if I'm okay or not, just keep driving. And that's okay, that's fine. I, I'm not bitter or upset about it, I'm, I'm good. Um, but sometimes I go and I stop and I just pray. Sometimes I get out and I walk and I pray. Sometimes, and if you've ever seen me do this and wonder if I lost my mind or if I'm lost, Sometimes I just drive that 12.9 acres over and over and over and over and just pray. What I've learned is that strategic prayer is really important, but sometimes God allows us to do creative things. Moses with a stick, fishing pole in my office, driving around, burning gas. But God allows us to do creative things that help us to focus on the important thing. And here's a really cool thing. Here, here's how it happened for me. When I would pray about, there's things I pray about I get really distracted. But when I really want to pray about something, I go somewhere or I do something or I hold something that reminds me of something. When I pray for my granddaughter, I usually look at her picture. Eyes are open. Me and God are good. We're, we're good with that. When I pray for my kids, I, I, sometimes I, I look at their pictures. Sometimes I don't. There's nothing wrong with using a prop, for lack of a better word, to focus your attention on what it is you want to pray for. That's what Moses did. And that's what God has called us to do. But the last thing I want to talk to you about is this, that strategic prayers are most important and most powerful when prayed together as a community. So uh, if you were here last week, I mentioned to you uh, last Sunday morning at 2.45, I get a phone call from Courtney Parker, uh, who was one of my CCF kids from West Georgia, who told me, didn't ask me, told me to get out of bed and pray because Brody was in jeopardy. Brody is her son who just finished second grade. I got out of bed and I prayed. What I found out over the course of the week was there was about 200 people doing that at the same time. They just started scattering phone calls out and their families started doing that and then people started doing that. And we prayed together as a community for a little boy that we all love. You can pray by yourself and that's okay. But sometimes you need to ask someone to come along with you and pray. Which is why we've invited you, uh, as, as we've talked about in the past, 
to when you want it to, to drive over. Drive up the road, drive the two miles over and drive around, do whatever you need to do and just take a minute, go every week and just pray for this whole process. Pray about our future, pray about the sale of this building, pray about the new building, just pray about people who are gonna come to Christ there as people who've come to Christ here. And when you do that, you're not by yourself, you are praying with every person who does that. So you, it's never just you. It's you and whoever else comes along. It's why sometimes when something's really important, we stop and we pray as a church. We don't do that all the time, and it's not that some things are more important than others. Let me tell you a story about the power of prayer. So this past week, um, I, was at, well, I was at the hospital yesterday for two hours in Atlanta, and... Um, this is amazing. I was telling the story this morning to a couple folks. So when they had to do the, the, the VAD, the VAS, what, to Brody, and they made that decision, and a lot of folks were praying about that, so they did an EKG and checked everything out. Everything was okay. And they did the surgery Wednesday morning, and he had a stroke, which is something that could happen, and he was moving his right side yesterday and like a champ, so that was really cool to see. But here's the God part of this. It turns out they misread the EKG. And he was showing signs of stroke before surgery, which means they would not have done surgery if they read it right, which means the doctor said he would have died on a machine. But because a doctor misread or God said, I'm not going to let you see this, he's alive today to get another heart. Amazing, amazing, amazing things happen when people pray together. And my whole week has been all about that. A community of people praying together for one little boy. And just watching God do this and do this and do this. And we've experienced this here as a church. We've had people who've gone through some stuff. Community of people pray together. They will tell you. It's the power of prayer in this community that prayed with them that gave them the strength to go through. I mean, there's things that happen that don't make sense medically. But God doesn't always make sense to us. And I'm so glad he doesn't. We should pray together. It's why uh, on my wrist, I wear these three things uh, almost all the time. And the red one is, is you can get if you don't have one. This is, says two, it's got two phrases on it. Who's your one? And found people, find people. This reminds me that there are people that I need to be praying for who need to know the Lord. That's why I wear this. It's not just because it's, I like wearing them. They're hot in the summertime when it's 100 degrees. But this reminds me that I need to pray for my one. And I'm going to tell you, I've been here 10 months, and I have a handful of ones. There's no reason we shouldn't have a one. There's no reason. This blue one here, and there's green ones and blue ones, it's got our mission statement on connecting people to Jesus and one another. Reminds me to pray for the church. This pink one I stole uh, when I found out that my son and daughter were having a baby for my daughter from her old car. She didn't even know I had it for a long time. And uh, I decided I was going to put this on didn't know if she would be a boy or a girl. Just kind of worked out, all right? Reminds me, I need to pray for my granddaughter every day. I need reminders. 
But here's what I know. If you're praying for a one, you're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it with everyone who's doing that. If you're praying for a church, you're not doing that by yourself. You're doing that with everyone who's doing that. And if you're praying for your kids and your grandkids, there's probably someone else who's doing that with you. Prayers are most powerful when we pray together. What happens in the trenches is important. Sometimes what happens on the hill is more important. And that's a lesson that Moses learned, and that's a lesson that Joshua learned, and that's a lesson that we all have to learn. We can make plans, we can have strategies, we can do programs, we can do whatever we want, but without prayer, they will fail. And so we're going to pray for our future, for this church, for lost people, for broken people, for disconnected people, as if it all rides on God, because it does. It all rides on Him. Everything that we do is for that. Everything. Every decision for lost, broken, drifting, hurting people. The most strategic thing, the most important thing that we can do is pray. And the greatest thing we can do is pray together. Pray as if everything rides on God because here's the deal. Everything does. Whether you believe that or not, accept that or not, everything rides on God. If you've ever been underwater in a hole in crisis and God picked you up and lifted you up, you know the power of prayer. Everything rides on him. And so as you say it every week, let me remind you, the truth about prayer and that the greatest benefit of prayer is that prayer is for your benefit. God does not need our prayers. God doesn't need to hear from you to know what's going on. But God loves the sound of your voice and the cry of your heart. And God has given us this amazing thing where we can communicate with the creator of the universe all the time, anywhere. In my room, wherever my quiet place, in the car, on the side of the road, in a pew, in a hospital room. Prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. The question is, will you pray courageously as if whatever it is you're praying for rides on God? And then will you do everything in your power to make it happen? Father, we are uh, amazed when we look at our Bible for things you you do and you have done. And sometimes I think we just look at those things and we go, well, that was great back in, you know, back in the day, that was fine. But today things are different. But you are still you. And you still do amazing things. And you still want to do great, great things. You still do miracles every single day, every day. And I'm grateful for that. Sometimes what doesn't look like a miracle when we look back turns out to be something that can only be explained by the touch of your hand. Lord, sometimes we pray and then we stop working. We pray and we get lazy. We pray and we just think that we've done all that we can do. We've done all we're supposed to do and we forget 
that it's important to be on the hill, but it's important to be in the trenches. Because you love what we do in the trenches. The people we interact with, the people you put in our path. You love that we are willing to get our hands dirty for your, the sake of your kingdom. So Lord, I pray that as a church corporately, we will pray together with purpose, on purpose for specific things, for lost people, for broken people, for hurting people, for drifting people, for people who have, for whatever reasons, have left the church and are sitting at home. Because that's why we're here, to be a rescue station in a dangerous world. So we are so thankful for this amazing thing called prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand now? We're going to have a time of decision. If you. Uh